This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Last Night in Soho. And we're going back in time. Please lock me away and don't allow the day here inside where I hide. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe. He's unfortunately not here right now. Hopefully he joins us soon enough. Uh, but Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via most spoiler for review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 475, 475, a, a very spooky episode indeed. We are recording on <laughs> Halloween, uh, which makes it uh, especially special um, because we do have a horror movie to talk about, which is great. Um, and this week we are talking Last Night in Soho, the newest film from director Edgar Wright. And joining me to discuss last night, so who we have from Criterion Cast, an editor at large for Battleship Retention, looking to start a band called Dave D, Dozy Scott, Beaky, Mitch, and Titch. It's Scott and I. You know, we might get sued, but I, I'm going to take a risk and, and go for it and start the band. Good. Also joining us from Deep Blue Sea, the podcast and creator of Life vs. Film, he lingers on the sidewalk where the neon signs are pretty. It's Jay Cluett. Hello, Token Brett has arrived for the Edgar Wright show. <laughs> I, ma- I make things work. What can I say? <laughs> hey, no, no complaints from me. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Uh, very well, thank you. Fantastic. Only a little haunted, you know. That's <laughs> not that's, too bad. Well, well, you told me you're going to see the haunting, so hopefully you can get the full haunted later. True, true. Yeah, that'll all. That'll the, the true, true is what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> but no, glad to have you guys here. Uh, looking forward to talking about this movie. I've been, I've been, we've been waiting a long time for it since it got delayed multiple times, but uh, it's finally here. Yeah, but we have plenty of to go over uh, on today's episode. First up, some show notes though. Uh, we it, it is the end of October, literally. We are recording on Halloween, so it's literally the end of October. But we did have a number of special bonus horror episodes throughout the month, as we generally do on October. Uh, and this year we talked a lot about franchises. So we talked about the Omen franchise, the Candyman franchise, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, and finally the Final Destination series, which was really cool because we got to talk to creator and writer Jeffrey Reddick about the Final Destination series. Uh, so that was all a lot of fun, and we just also released our newest commentary track for Halloween 2018. Speaking of franchises, we talked all about that film within the context of having seen Halloween Kills, uh, along with you know the rest of the franchise in general. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun bonus content all related to horror, as we generally do during this month. It was super fun to record, and it's all available on iTunes. You can find all of those shows and all of our other shows on iTunes, where you can search for our show, Out and Out There and Abe, and you can get all that content whenever you want to, because it's right there for you. But you could also give us a rating and review, which would be wonderful. It would pop us up in the old iTunes charts, and, uh, you know, it would inspire us to do more fun bonus stuff, just like all that Halloween content. Uh, okay. I, I really I really enjoyed your Final Nation uh, look back. That Thanks. was a very fun show. It's one of my favorite franchises. I don't know if most of your listeners are like me, where they every few days in October see another episode ping up from you guys. And, oh, it must, must be October. Another episode <laughs> to kind of skip over horror films I don't really, don't really watch. But I love the Final Station shows. So I may never listen to that one, and I really enjoyed it. So thank well, you. I, I appreciate that. that was, it, it was really – I mean, they're always fun to record. It's fun to, you know, get those guys on and just, like, talk about horror movies. But having – I you know, we, we get guests every so – like, you know – filmmaker guests every so often every guest is special that's what i was trying to allude to but we get filmmaker guests every so often uh but it was really cool to get like the actual creator of the franchise we were talking about that's like that's super fun that's that's a fun thing that we were able to accomplish so yeah, yeah it's cool. all, all those episodes are there and uh, let's see what else uh we have a couple of bonuses coming here 
Uh, first up, we do have a French Dispatch episode planned. Uh, that'll be recorded at the day of this, uh, tomorrow, based on the day of this recording, which is going to be, uh, you know, we're looking forward to digging into some Wes Anderson. And we also have a last duel uh, bonus nights nights episode uh coming very soon as well so stay tuned we got plenty of bonus content we didn't want to leave leave some of these uh you know notable films out in the dust so we want to make sure to give them some time not just rele- relegate them to quickies uh, and that's going to do it for show notes but speaking of quickies here we go out of quickies dm dm each, each, thank you we do now now we will move the quickies dm thank you all right um let's let's talk about some movies guys uh scott let's start with you what uh, other movies have you seen recently? What other movies have I seen recently? I forgot you guys start with this, so I'm pulling up my letterbox any second now. That's I know why I watched it's helpful. <laughs> a terrible uh, horror movie last night called Man Made Monster. Do not recommend it. It's only an hour and it's an electrical man. You'd think, uh, good fun. Uh, not. Um, I rewatched Cache this week. It screened uh, locally and uh, had uh, still a very haunting, uh, strange, beguiling movie. Quite enjoyed that. Um, finally saw the big chill for the first time uh had never seen the big chill um big fan of hippies movies about hippies you know coming to terms with adulthood there's a strange kind of subgenre there i'm the a, late 70s early 80s i'm a big fan of movies that kevin costner's not very much in so that, that really helped me out <laughs> any movie where he filmed material and then was cut out of it exactly Ideal. There's a lot of films out there he's, he's just had nothing to do with. I, yeah, that's so why I like a lot of movies, Jay. So many <laughs> <laughs> that's the reason I got into movies in the first place. I thought they were all like Kevin a, Costner. And then like someone a, told me, how can I have filter this out? Without? How, can, how can I filter this out? Well, if you take an entire career based around watching movies, I'm sure you can figure out a way. <laughs> You just need to write like there's like 50 or so films you can ignore, and then there's all the rest are available to you. Exactly. Cash is really uh, good, by the way, just to back up a second. I, I really like it. I've seen it the once, but it feels like I feel like I got everything I wanted to out of it that one time. I, if I saw it again, I'd probably still like it, but uh, I really like that film quite a bit. And I'll give a shout out for uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, um, a very excellent Japanese movie. It's kind of a triptych, and the last movie, the last kind of section of it is uh, probably the best reflection I've seen on the uh, era of COVID that's not like directly addressing it. It kind of finds an oblique way to get at it, the emotions of the time without uh, being too literal about it. Interesting. Cool. Uh, Jay, how about you? What have you seen recently? Uh, well, there are far fewer films than Scott, uh, but one in particular, I watched Freaky. Oh, yeah? Uh, from last night. It didn't, it, uh, I think you had it last year in America, but it didn't get released till, till this year, till 2021 in the UK for various uh, uh virus related reasons uh-huh. uh but i watched it the other night and i really enjoyed it uh, i i did for those listeners who don't know freaky is the body swap is friday freaky friday the 13th exactly. the body swap slash yeah. with vince vaughn as a, a teenage girl what is that rated I, in england i'm just curious because it's pretty good i think it was a 15 uh-huh yeah 18 is like the highest right yes so last night in soho was an 18 Oh, really? Uh, freaky with a 50. Yeah, I was surprised, actually. That's, uh, a, that's very interesting, because I, I, I would think it'd be the reverse, honestly. I think Freaky is far more gory and stuff compared to it. It is. There are some some gnarly kills, which I'm always here for. That's that's why I watch these kinds of films. It's got one, watching... that one with Alan Ruck that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm here today to talk about Alan Ruck, because I love Alan Ruck in lots of things. I feel like he's always kind of a dependable character actor to have in the background. Uh-huh. And he's generally playing a nice guy. And I've recently started <laughs> watching Succession, and then I watched this, and he's just a twat in both. Uh, so... <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, no, not Alan Ruck. I mean, yes, kill him. But 
like, why has he got to be a bad guy? Because he's always great. I always enjoy watching him. But yeah, some horrific kills. The 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 Vince Vaughn performance when after after the body swatch, it did feel like his reaction to Jack Black in the Jumanji films. Uh, I, where... I, was, I was about to point that out to you. It's like I was, I was curious about what you were gonna say because like yeah, it feels like <laughs> they're just I, approximating things in certain ways. I feel like Jack Black did it better. Obviously, can, he's in an out-and-out out comedy, uh-huh. uh, so he has more to kind of play with, whereas Vince Vaughn is in a, a horror film, so there's a lot more running away and fighting. Uh, but I feel like he saw Jack Black doing that, and like, hey, I could do that too. But the fact, I think I think Freaky got made for like $6 million, which is not a lot of money for a film, yeah. and it looks fantastic. The amount that they did, given that they had such a big name as Vince Vaughn in the cast as well, it, I was very impressed with the, the end result of this film. And if they do a sequel, then I'll be here for it. Cool. Yeah. All right. I've uh, I've seen a few things that I will make note of here. Um, first up, Paranormal Activity: colon, Next of Kin, the newest and return of the Paranormal Activity franchise. I think fans of this show uh, know that I actually like the series quite a bit. I acknowledge that there are some that are not as good, uh, but I do, um, for the most part, think that there are some real uh, scary gems in this one, especially the third one with the oscillating fan camera. Um, this film, uh, Next of Kin, it's directed by William Eubank, who Abe and I are fans of, because he directed The Signal, as well as Underwater, which we enjoy. Um, I don't think this movie's very good. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to like it, I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt, because I like this franchise, I wanted to see where it would go, and we like the director. But it just doesn't... I mean, it technically offers something new, because it's like, instead of being in one house with cameras around, it goes to, like, an Amish farm, and... You have a documentary crew that's purposely trying to make a movie, and there's some neat tricks and stuff with camera things, but it's just, it never gets that creative with the scares. There actually aren't a lot of, like, scares to begin with. It kind of ramps up at the end, but by that point, you're like, eh, all right. And the necessity of the format is kind of put in question at certain points in ways where it just kind of felt a little too tired. Uh, and also, like, being on a Paramount Plus exclusive, I honestly missed seeing this in a theater. Like, I've seen all the other Paranormal Activities movies in theaters, and I do think that makes up a good part of it. I do think there's that kind of experience that adds to that sort of movie. So it was a shame, because I, I I generally like, I, I like, at least I like enjoying watching this franchise, uh, even if I don't like the movie as much. I think there's just something there that definitely benefits from a certain kind of audience. But you know, by yourself, watching a less than stellar version of it, it's like, eh, all right. So yeah, not, not great on Next of Kin. Next up, I watched Army of Thieves. This is the prequel to Army of the Dead, which came out earlier this year, because if there's one franchise to strike hot on, it's Zack Snyder's zombie franchise, and if there's one way to follow up the initial zombie entry of that franchise, it's by making a movie that features no zombies whatsoever. Uh, so this is about the character uh, Ludwig von D- Ludwig Dieter, the safecracker. Uh, it's a prequel origin story of how he became a master safecracker. Um, it, it basically boils down to being a heist film set in Europe. It's fine. Uh, it's it's. Ming. Yeah, yeah it, it, it it's too it's way too long for what it's trying to do, but like, it's it's almost admirable because it's it's not an R rated movie. It's an R rated movie, but it doesn't feel like it. It's like a heist because it's a heist movie, and like the character of Ludwig Dieter, he's such a like nice and passive kind of guy who doesn't want to fight anything. I mean, as you know, in Army of the Dead, he comes in, he has never even fought a zombie before. So it's like, 
I like that it's a fairly innocent film, despite it's only an R because of swearing. Like that's the other, and it's on Netflix, so it doesn't really matter anyway. But it's just like okay, well that <laughs> I I I I like or I like Army of the Dead quite a bit. So watching Army of the Dead is like eh, all right, like I get what you're doing. This could have been much shorter and probably more enjoyable, but it is what it is. Um, on the enjoyable side, though, I watched The Harder They Fall, which is also coming on Netflix. This is the the black western with John of the Majors, Idris Elba, Regina King, Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beats, a bunch of people. Uh, this movie's a lot of fun. I, I, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, it has some issues. It's also similarly very long for some reason. So it's two hours and 15 minutes. It's like, why does this need to be this long? But it's, it's, it's much like we described with the trailer. It's very stylish. It has a lot of, it's brimming with ideas as far as how to like, do a black western with a ton of like Leone in it, essentially, to the point where it's not to say that this movie's as good as a classic Leone spaghetti western, but I do feel like if Leone was like alive and he saw something like this, it feels like this would be like the kind of thing he'd still be doing if he was making movies still. In the same way we're like, I don't know, by the time Hitchcock died, he was he was already getting more lurid with things like family plot and like frenzy like things were getting like more extreme it feels like this would be a natural like next step for what leone would be doing as far as how far he would he could kind of push certain things regardless it's a fun movie and it has like by default because it's like reggae and hip-hop infused like the blackest soundtrack of the year which i really enjoyed um making it kind of somewhat anachronistic but also like st- heavily stylized and whatnot it all fits so i, I enjoyed it uh, before i keep going Abe, are you here now i uh i pulled an eloise on you guys <laughs> just really got lost in a dream so that and, could mean many things yeah i woke up was like i don't know what year it is and uh was like oh shit it's ten twenty. <laughs> well, well glad you made your way to this podcast i was just talking about uh some movies that you overheard but uh, before that i was talking about paranormal activity next of kin with our you know yeah. our favorite director william eubank uh unfortunately not a very good movie um oh. Bummer. Yeah, so I just I wanted to, I didn't want to wait for you to get to the editing to hear that I didn't like this movie. So I wanted to let on, you know on the Paramount Plus, no less, right? <laughs> on Paramount Plus, yes. Uh, a couple more that I'll mention real quick. Uh, come on, come on. This is the new Mike Mills film um, yes. with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, I it's I enjoyed this movie. I, I I'm trying to think if I liked it as much as like 20th Century Women or beginners i think they're all like about on par with each other i just thought i think mike mills is a, is a he's a solid human filmmaker like he gets a good drama and, and humor out of the stories that he tries to tell and it's very it's a shot in black and white joaquin phoenix is like a documentarian who takes his nephew along with him for various reasons they kind of just have a a couple weeks together and it's just like a nice film like it, it, it's especially for joaquin phoenix just seeing him play like a human like that's fun like it's nice, it's nice to see him like play just a, a normal guy for a change um and last thing parallel mothers this is the new pedro almodovar film uh with penelope cruz uh penelope cruz is very good in this movie as she generally is in uh, uh pedro almodovar movies um the story i won't get into what is exactly going on but i will say it has a lot of hitchcockian feel to it and it's not a thriller like in the music and kind of the way some scenes are staged is like Huh. I haven't seen all of Almodovar's films. I like the ones that I have seen quite a bit, but like I never really noticed if he has that kind of influence like within him uh, to that degree uh, that it felt like here. But I enjoyed it regardless. So yeah, that's my thoughts. Uh, Abe, how about what have you seen recently? Uh, I watched Constantine, and Constantine. This is in, t- <laughs> this is in line with uh, all the the Halloween-ish movies that I'm watching. 
daily, weekly. That cast is stacked. The movie is not very good. Like it's it's kind of like a boring movie. But that cast, I was like, whoa, what? Tilda Swinton. <laughs> um, so Gavin Rosdale from Bush. Exactly. <laughs> For two scenes or three scenes, uh, back when you know, I guess everybody loved Gavin Rossdale, which is probably not true, uh, because this is like ten years after Bush. But um, well, he, I mean, he just had it like a hit single on the Triple X soundtrack as a solo oh, artist. Oh, that's how he did it. Okay, I got it. Naturally, that meant uh, I need to be in more movies. <laughs> this has been Rossdale chat. <laughs> DM. Uh, the other thing I also I also watched was um. The, uh, the the House of the Devil. Oh. Um, very spot-on 80s uh, horror movie. I, I love the opening credits, where it just freezes on her as she's walking away, and it says, like, executive produced by John Smith, or whatever the, it says. Um, but For- a slow burn of a movie, definitely kind of gory, uh, just when she goes to a doorway and, and you see what's on the other side of the door. Um, but yeah, definitely a, um, an eighties movie. Despite being made in the 2010s. That's, that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It it, it captures style correctly, captures kind of the dialogue correctly as well. Um, and so much aesthetic of it, including like grainy footage and whatever else, but yeah, pretty, it's definitely not for everybody. I can, I can see that it wouldn't be for everybody because people would be like, well, where's the scare? It's like, you just hear footsteps for most of the, the, um, the movie. Minus, like, you know... Uh, well, it builds to something. It, yeah. it does, yes. But also, like, early on, minus Academy Award winning... Or, I'm sorry, Academy nominated... Um, Greta Gerwig. Director Greta Gerwig's uh, demise. But, um... And then French Dispatch. So we'll, we'll chat about that later, though. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I'm glad you made it here, and that was enough quickies. Trademark. I was waiting for Jay to pop in. I, I, I was back. My job's done. Was, was Jay doing it? Oh, thanks, Jay. No this is a combination of, of tired voice and morning voice, so I apologize to the listeners. Well, you're, and, sta- you're staying up late to see what happened with Constantine, so I understand. I had to, yeah. You know, that Shia LaBeouf. He is in that movie, too. That's right. Yeah, really, really came in and saved the day there. I believe he dies and then comes back in the after the post-credits hey, scene. Hey, come on. In the post-credits scene, though. In the post-credits, he gets, he gets his angel wings. He gets his angel wings. <laughs> So, you know, every time you hear a bell, Shia LaBeouf gets his wings. That is what happens, yeah. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to some trailer talk. We're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, and what have you. This is where we're talking Licorice Pizza, the upcoming coming-of-age story from director and writer Paul Thomas Anderson. It features Cooper Hoffman, the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, along with Alana Haim of the band Haim, as well as Sean Penn, Ton Waits, and Bradley Cooper as John Peters. Um... Uh, Scott, what 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 are your thoughts on the the trailer for Licorice Pizza? Um, I mean, I'm always exceedingly excited for the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. He's probably my favorite working American filmmaker. Um, the trailer it was fine. I mean, it has a certain like '70s groove to it that I can certainly get on board with, but it wasn't the sort of thing that like got me more amped up than I already was for the movie. You know, it's, it's cool to see the his kind of cinematography. It's cool to see him going back to widescreen format. Um, mm-hmm. it's cool to see that sunny LA 70s vibe, but it's not like, I didn't get such a strong impression of what it's going for, you know? Uh, so I'll still be keen to see the movie, but the trailer was kind of like, yeah, all right, sweet movie's coming. I'm down. 
Jay, how about you? Are you are you a PTA fan? Uh, I I used to be. <laughs> uh, uh, Magnolia was one of my first ever favorite films. I also really like Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love, both fantastic. Uh, the Wee Blood, great. Uh, but I I I'm one of those people that I I didn't get the master. I didn't get Inherent Vice. Um, I liked Phantom Thread. Uh, but in, in this this literature Peter is giving me inherent vice vibes, and I feel like if I went back and watched those films a second time, I'd appreciate them more. I, I haven't got time for that. I'm sorry. Uh, just I, I'm kind of a, a one it's and only like two hours and thirty five minutes. I mean exactly. <laughs> Do you know how many times I need to watch Deep Blue Sea every week, Aaron? It's, I don't have time for anything else. Uh, but I, I like the cast. I feel like the the two leads who are not known actors. They, they have known connections to famous people, but they they look decent enough. The rest of the cast looks fun. Bradley Cooper's having a, a fun time in here, it seems. So I'll I'll see it at some point. But I'm not as wowed over as I've, I've seen other people be like, oh my, this looks like the second coming of amazing filmmaking. I, I haven't I didn't get that vibe from from the trailer for me. But I'll see it. Fair enough. Abe, how about you? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the brother with Jay and Scott, where the trailer really like I laughed at certain parts of it, especially during the. Uh, the Streisand and Streisand part. Uh, but, you know, I was going to go see it anyway because it's Paul Thomas Anderson new movie. Sure, I do get vibes of Inherent Vice, and I think Aaron and I both loved Inherent Vice. Sorry, Jay. Um, fine. I, I know I'm wrong when this. It's fine. <laughs> my, my uh, it certainly got, like, mixed reviews. Um, Owen Wilson but, sits at a table with pizza and it's the Last Supper painting. I mean, what more do you want from a filmmaker? <laughs> well, this is it. Inherent Vice has completely fallen out of my head. I can't remember a damn thing about it. So there's a scene where there. there's a scene where Joaquin Phoenix is mid conversation. He picks up a picture and he goes ah, and then he goes back to the mid conversation. It's the best thing because it's <laughs> a picture of like an ugly person. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think that this trailer is is cool in a way of the aesthetic of just wow that really does look like you know L A in the seventies and and also I, I was curious about the acting right so it's like who is that guy because I didn't know that it was Philip Seymour Hoffman's son that was in it and it's like. Why does that guy look familiar? Is he somebody that I should know? And then uh, you see the credits and you certainly see uh, some resemblance on second and third viewing when you see it in front of movies that are going to go check it out in the theater. But, you know, it, I am excited because it's a Paul Thomas Anderson vehicle and there's going to be um, or he's a writer director that I, that I really like watching. But the trailer is just more of cool. Now there's a trailer for this movie that people have been calling what was the first name for it aaron or the code name for it soggy bottom soggy bottom now this is a trailer for soggy bottom and it's called licorice pizza I, was that a, a, a code name before they came up with licorice pizza or just to throw everybody off i mean it, this feels it, like it, it <laughs> it's an it's abstract title mm-hmm. it's not like you know star wars episode 10 how, how many people are out there hunting down the next shot of licorice pizza they really wanted people to go t- and get like pictures of bogs Lit- when they googled it. Licorice Pizza is, is a specific reference, but I mean Soggy Bottom. I mean yes, that's just correct. what it was reported as. I mean I don't know if that came from, the, you know, just what the slate says, or <laughs> you know if PTA just said yeah Soggy Bottom, or just like it just came into conversation and kind of became accepted. But regardless, it was just that was just the thing people knew it as for a while. Yeah, I mean, most movies shoot under some kind of code name. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just weird industry practice uh, that people can't let go of. And I I've, I've know people in the industry who know people who have seen the Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, Licorice Pizza. Um, and apparently they're under, like, 
excessively strict embargo for not revealing anything. And they're like, yeah, there's no like plot twists. It's just like he just doesn't want people to know what the deal is. Yeah, yeah, I got that. It's ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, <if> it is? <laughs> what a weird direction this franchise went. <laughs> I'm here for it. Bold that it wasn't Disney too. Like what a <laughs> weird change. Up. Tom Waits finally in a Star Wars film. Yes. <laughs> I uh, like this trailer quite a bit. I, 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 I uh, to the point where I'm like, I mean, guys, like it's a fun trailer. I don't. I mean, I get being excited for PTA just because it's PTA, but I still like the trailer. I think it's a, a a nice music video essentially. Like that's how it feels constructed as and it for me yes like i agree with you as far as it's a new pta movie i don't need much convincing to see it to begin with but as one that likes trailers and likes trailer design like i think it's an accomplished piece of work gives you kind of a, a full arc within a couple minutes as far as you know getting you getting across the idea the mood of this movie uh whether or not i know what's you know happening in it outside of being a some kind of coming of age story like i i just enjoyed seeing like this stuff in action, seeing these various out of context clips, such as Bradley Cooper taking hammers to a car and then screaming, like that's just fun to me. <laughs> like it's like, yeah, all right, I'm all down for whatever his interpretation of John Peters is supposed to be. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree that I'm looking forward to it, but I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a nice among the trailers that seem to get repeated very often. This and Jackass uh, Forever, I, I don't mind seeing either of these things <laughs> when they come up. So, sure, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Licorice Pizza arrives, I assume, in limited release on November 26th uh, next month. So be ready. Okay, that's our trailer talk. Let's move on now. Let's get to our. Let's get to it, guys. Let's get to our main review for last night in Soho. Something in my dreams. There was a girl. And you are? Sandy. I got this kind of gift. See people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? They really happened. <laughs> what did you see? Do you believe in ghosts? Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Last Night in Soho. Having made a zombie movie, an alien invasion flick, a buddy cop action movie, a car chase movie, and a documentary about an obscure pop band, and uh, the best video game inspired movie, I hope everyone had British Italian horror film next on the list of things director Edgar Wright was set to do. Uh, this feature... This movie features Leave No Traces Thomas and McKenzie as Eloise, an aspiring designer headed to London for fashion design school. Upon arriving and finding living arrangements in the loft of an old home, she begins to have some sort of out-of-body experience when she goes to sleep, as she is suddenly brought into the 60s in the form of Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. At first, as a lover of the 60s, Eloise is drawn to seeing the actual lifestyle, only to realize that nostalgia can be a deadly thing when evil is lurking around every corner. 
Jay, I'm going to start with you as our resident Brit on this program. <laughs> what are you a fan of uh, the various uh, genre appropriations of uh, Edgar Wright? What do you think of this movie? Uh, Edgar Wright is is maybe my favorite living director. Um, he's a, a guy who's made, in my opinion, four perfect films, and I I enjoyed Baby Driver a great deal. It's just not as good as the other four. Uh, so this has been my most anticipated film for a long time. Finally here, uh, horror is not normally my bag. Uh, it's not not a genre I, I rush out to. So I was a little trepidatious at seeing kind of that he's a fan of horror, at kind of seeing it's obviously going to be less comedic than his other other films, and it is less comedic than his other films. There's still some touches of comedy in there, uh, but it it wasn't uh, full out grotesque, uh, terrify you to your very core horror. It had more of a uh, uh, some mystery to it as a thriller to it. There's horror elements, especially towards the end. But yeah, I. I I really enjoyed this film. It was it was it was fantastic. Uh, I love the imagery, the the technical. I, I want to see it behind the scenes of of how they made some of these shots, particularly the one of the opening dance, well, the early dance sequences mm-hmm. with uh, in the first dream, shall we say? I, I want to see how they did that because it's still, you know, we've seen ev- every possible thing that can be done with film at this point, and I'm still looking at thinking, how did they, how did they do that? <laughs> like, I, I, I bet it's Occam's Razor. It's very simple. They just ran and ran out of frame. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Even then, I, I was like looking for like the hand is still there. It was just I was trying to catch him out, but they, they it's very well done. I was I love a lot of the the imagery. Some of it's been in in the trailers, like the reflection of the eyes in the knife mm-hmm. uh, is uh, kind of a well known shot at this point. But I I really liked it. Yeah, I was I enjoyed this film a great deal more than I thought I was going to. All right, Scott, how about you? What did you think of uh, Last Night in Soho and, and Right in a general basis? Yeah, so I uh, I'm one of those folks who has been on board with right from the beginning. Um, I saw uh, Shaun of the Dead in theaters and absolutely loved it. Hot Fuzz, same thing. Scott Pilgrim, you know, voice of a generation kind of thing. I was 24 when it came out, so it was a big, big deal to me. Um, since then, it's been somewhat diminishing returns for me and Wright. And when he announced this, I was a little nervous because I worried that his cleverness, which is usually a great strength, would get in the way of kind of a relatively straightforward horror film. And I, I love these kind of movies, these psychological kind of women distress um house of psychotic women kind of movies mm-hmm. um but i was completely wowed by this movie not only for the considerable visual style of it which um jay mentioned in great detail like it is really astounding to see the things he pulls off and kind of uh accomplishing this dreamscape world but it, i think it's a pretty substantial film and one that right not only let go of his cleverness but let go of his need to kind of completely resolve the movie it feels a little like he's not completely sure everything he's expressing in the movie and there's a little room for added interpretation a little room for some added psychological dimension that isn't like like i said completely resolved there's um some messy some things i think yes but it's messiness isn't even the right word because it's so formally like rigid and accomplished like his Visual. I think I mean, it's like like character status messiness. I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. there's some added psychological dimension to the characters that is more adventurous than I've seen him do before, and that really excited me. Yeah, yeah. I, by the time the credits hit on this movie, I was completely in love with it. All right, Abe. How about you? Where are you with Last Night in Soho? Uh, I, I quite enjoyed Last Night in Soho uh, for all the reasons that were been stated by Jane and by Scott. Um, I think that there's still a lot of uh, Eddie Wright in this movie. Like what Jay was mentioning, there still is. Some elements of humor here and there, uh, but a, uh, an Edgar Wrightness. But I also feel as though, like with Scott, you're kind of maybe getting to. It's like it feels like a different, 
uh, I don't want to say like mature, but it feels like a different editor, right? Like he's kind of progressing in his, in his directing career as well. Cause we aren't really focused. The main character is Eloise, uh, this woman who is trying to get her, her fashion career started, right? And other movies that we've seen him in, it's about young men or like young adult men, uh, still trying to like hold on to their glory days kind of thing and having a good time with like their buddies, uh, while things happen. Um, in the background, like some sort of like plot twist. Um, and in this one, yes, there are some things that happen later on in the movie, but I think there's a sense of cool. I'm glad that he didn't have another film. I would have probably still enjoyed the types of films where he has, uh, a man child, so to speak, um, as like the main lead uh, going through life with, um, a, a catastrophic, maybe perhaps catastrophic event happening at the end of the movie. But this is not one of those movies. And this certainly shows like, his creativity at work, because um, I, I love the cinematography, but the way that these scenes are composed and the way that they um, like you travel through, I guess, this specific part of London uh, for just a few days, a, a couple weeks. Um, it's pretty incredible uh, for me to to go on this ride with Edgar. And um, it's somewhat spooky, too, as what Jay is alluding to. Like, there's a lot of. Um, classical like whodunit type noir going on um and i found that stuff to be very effective because i was intrigued by that plot point and i wanted to know for i wanted to further unravel this mystery that was happening so overall i thought that the ride was really a a well-done ride uh from an aesthetic and technical standpoint and i thought that the acting was just like really on point too thomas mckenzie has a lot of great facial acting um, like sometimes she has to just look at somebody, look away, and she's also got a really good, strong um, cry face. Uh, that's not a real thing. That's just more like when it's a fair way to say it. Tears develop in her eyes, and she has to like prove that she's uh, either frustrated by something within a dream, and or just like in real life. So it's really good uh, acting there. But yeah, I, I I dug the the movie, and I, I really can't wait to see it again for more things like more details that I may have missed because Edgar's so big on the details, like from the movie posters down to like whatever is hanging in the, in the downstairs bar walls. Like I, I really want to get some of those things. Right. And there's so much music in the mm-hmm. true. And, yes. Yeah. Like, the needle drops here are fantastic. Yeah. Well, even the yeah. casting choices themselves, when you have like Terrence Stamp and Anna Rigg among others in there, there's, there's implied things based off their filmographies that I find to be just wonderful, like little clever touches to, what's going on here i um not only like this film but want to point out once again that i i purposely try to hold myself away from seeing what everyone thinks of these movies uh abe and i especially do this but so i didn't i i wasn't aware of how much sweeping praise there was going to be for last night in Soho this morning <laughs> but i'm not against it because yes i also like this movie uh quite a bit i'm a huge edgar wright fan um but it seems like all of us are here i, I do think he's a director that's not only has a you know style to spare at his films but has been showing some interesting signs of you know growth over the over the you know course of his career whether or not all the films are matching up to the same level I, it's nice to see a director evolve even if his early films i mean are all <laughs> like basically stand-up classics um this movie i'm so happy that like last year i spent like a whole month watching like italian horror and giallo and then this year I've been watching a surprising amount of Hammer Horror films and British horror in general. So I'm like so prepared to like watch The Last Night in Soho and just take in all the like glorious references he's going for and uh, visual ideas and inspirations that are clearly in play or whatnot. On top of that, he's just made a, a good movie. Uh, the, the film 
the way it ha- it it kind of um, shows Thomas and McK- Eloise's uh, struggle in this film made me feel so bad for her <laughs> as she's going through it. I was so empathetic uh, to seeing her kind of deal with an insane situation um, and kind of the way we learn about like what she's going through, like how we visualize it, as well as how she's developed as a character from the get go. Uh, like Scott, you were saying, I like that there's like stuff that's not necessarily like completely clarified, but there's there's just aspects there that I find like fascinating and enriching anyway, because there's a lot to read into as far as what's really being gone for here and where we where we kind of leave off with these people. Um, that said, yes, it's aesthetically pretty spectacular. The recreation of the 60s is pretty amazing. The you know costumes, production design, you have uh, uh, Chung Hoon Chung. It was uh, Park Chan-wook's cinematographer, like Old Boy, mm-hmm. and uh, among other films. Um, it, it what a great combination this is because it has you know so much of the kind of things Edgar Wright can do as far as his editing, his kinetic editing rhythms and what have you, mixed with a, a keen eye for you know enhancing the severity of certain sequences. Where yes, it's still a very stylish film, but it's also one that has a lot of dread lurking around the corners, especially as it builds more and more towards the you know kind of second and third acts where it becomes more of a horror story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the way it arrives at its conclusion, which I will not get too far into, I'll just say I I got more emotional than I expected to in a movie like this. So it's there's just like a lot going on here where I feel like it's entirely successful because of these performances as well as the style. And the story, which, like a lot of Italian horror, there's a way where it could go bad or just feel like it's on some sort of autopilot or just kind of like, all right, now we're just throwing a bunch of images at you. But I think because of Wright's skills as a filmmaker, he has a way of constructing something where the beginning gives you a lot and then it finds a way to resolve itself from stylistic, like what as far as like how he constructs his films. There's a There's a very specific rhythm to them. And I found the conclusion to be uh, a fitting way to bring things around as far as where we started and where we end off here. So I, I really like this movie a lot. Yeah, I, I want to point out something very early on, which is it, it's not even a trick. I don't think that Edgar intended it to be a trick, but he got me so good. And I was like, God damn it, because in the the opening of the movie, you see Thomas McKenzie in a paper dress that she's made and her room is filled with like breakfast at Tiffany's, like all these 60 nostalgia. And she's got like a, a landline phone and you see that. And, um, and then she gets on the train and she's got beats headphones. And I was like, wait, what time period is this? <laughs> and I was so mad at myself. I was like, Oh, Edgar, you dog. You, um, you thought it started off in the sixties. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, you. I thought that I was watching a period piece. And I was like, Oh no, I know that she travels back and forth <laughs> in the sixties, but I was like, Oh man, you got me early on. And that was really well done. Cause I was so engrossed into like what I was seeing and mm-hmm. the atmosphere that he brings forth on the screen. And, and then all of a sudden I'm like, beats headphones wireless so. well that, that, is, that is very much what uh what cornwall is like where she is oh, from she, okay. it's it, it's a beautiful place uh the cottage stuck in, she stuck in the time at, period though very much so we, we love going on holiday there uh on vacation there if you will and um yeah it's when when she meets her like her roommate and rumors like, oh i'm so sorry you're from cornwall she's from manchester <laughs> manchester just just an awful place compared to cornwall's a delightful that's a haven <laughs> like, everyone should want to be from cornwall uh, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, I, I hate... from South London. There's a. <laughs> I just want to point out this bit before I forget it because it just kind of makes me laugh. Because like the roommate's name, the initial roommate's name is Jacosta, and she refers to herself as Hurricane Jacosta. Uh, and and there's a there's a 
where there's a sequence where Eloise is she's like talking with her grandmother about how to, how she's doing in the city, and later on in the film to like better convince her grandma that everything's fine. He's like, yeah, I'm just out with Hurricane Jocasta. And it's just so, there's something about the way Thomas McKenzie says that that's just really funny to me. <laughs> um, but um, focusing more on, on uh, like what's going on here, I, I want to talk about the fact that this is Edgar Wright. It's his first film featuring a female lead, uh, let alone two to some degree. Um, and not that this is necessarily required, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, he has uh, writer uh, Christy wilson Carnes. Uh, as the co-writer of this film, she also wrote uh, 1917 with Sam Mendes. Uh, just ask a question straight out. Do you what? What do you think of him of him kind of evolving this direction and doing something by evolving a character that's not just like you said, Abe, like a, you know, just like guys growing up. Like as far as how do you think this this works within his filmography? Yeah, I think it's a really smart extension, and I, I think bringing uh, co-screenwriter on was a good call too. Apparently, she talked him out of putting all the flashback scenes as like musical numbers, which oh. I think was a very smart choice. Um, Cause she was like, no, we need to feel like this is a real woman who's really going through some shit. Um, mm-hmm. And she also worked at like a bar for like years and years as she was kind of struggling to become a screenwriter. So she brought all that kind of like lived detail experience, um, which obviously Edgar Wright could bring to a, a story about, you know, going nowhere lads in their twenties, early thirties, trying to figure out life. Um, but which he probably didn't have as much direct insight to. Um, so from everything I can read, her contributions were like really substantial. And um, as much as he's been kicking this movie around for years, it kind of shows a strong side of him that he was open to uh, reconfiguring the entire idea. You're, you're completely uh, right there. That's uh, I'm sorry, Jay. That was real quick. Sorry. The, the, um, there are so many filmmakers that feel like they can not, not that like they're just bad without having any kind of it, but it's like the idea of, you know, being open to filmmaker to be open to, additional commentary or other thoughts or whatnot to just that not only it's not like it's taking away anything from me it's just more of like how can we open something up and be more collaborative and therefore draw out new ideas that and, and either side could have like that's i feel like there's a lot of filmmakers that could definitely benefit from that Shyamalan feels like one that could benefit from having a sure. writer every now and then <laughs> like, sure. yeah. yeah well i mean and edgar wright too like has such a strong visual sense that like his confidence is very clear but i, I think his confidence is such that it allows him to open himself up to collaborators and he you know virtually has one on every film he's done yeah and they bring out kind of different aspects of them and it's exciting that he's keeping that going even after the right. considerable success of baby driver jay what were you gonna say i'm yeah. sorry Oh, the um, uh, uh, Scott mentioned that Christy Wilson Kearns works in a bar. The bar that she worked in is literally the Toucan. It's oh. the the actual pub that's in the film. Wait, it's, this is a biography? <laughs> it, uh, yes, it's it's all a true story. Uh, so she she's very integral to a lot of what happens uh, story wise. I think I, from what I've heard, it was very much a fifty uh, fifty split in terms of writing. But yeah, I, I'm ha- very happy that Edgar Wright has moved away from just kind of this the man child. Uh, uh, protagonist for most of his films and i'm very happy that he's taking a direction this is also the first film of his to have a prominent person of color in it mm-hmm. uh, of the the boyfriend john who's played yeah, very was, very I'm sorry? there was one character that i felt like was a little underserved um either i don't know just like on the page basically like there's a certain colorblind nature of the casting where it could have like i don't think he's a specifically black character in any way i can recall but also, I, regardless of who you cast, I just feel like the character is too indebted to um, Ellie. Like, at every turn, he, he's only concerned with Ellie. He doesn't really seem to have too much of a life as his own. That was kind of like the one blemish on the movie I otherwise loved. That's the kind of thing I can under 
I, I, I understand what you I don't disagree. It's the matter of this feels like there's there's a two hour and ten minute version of this movie that could probably do more, but I feel like if you add that, then it just kind of drags kind of the main momentum of it down. Now, I that's you know that's not an excuse. It's just like I I can see there being more there, and they just kind of. Oh sure, I'm not saying he needed like his own subplot. I think that would have distracted from yeah. like the psychological tenor of the movie. I just mean like the way he speaks, the way he reacts to certain yeah. situations. Like but, he just seems to be looking at her at every turn, and be like, "How can I help you?" And there, I think there's a slightly different way to play that character. For I sure, and sure, I agree, yeah. and I also and I also think there's you he's not written specifically black. I think that's accurate based off just how he functions in the story. But I can't deny that there is some certain optics during certain sequences where him being a black character has a has a different sort of impact, I think. Yes, uh, for sure. Than, than um, it would if he wasn't. Uh, that said, the character is played by uh, Michael Ajo. He was he was an attack the block, Abe. He was one of the young. Yeah, he's the uh, little. He's, kid. He's the little kid with the other. Oh kid. damn! Yeah. Did not realize that. With, with the water guns. Yeah, the, he was one of the little kids with the water. <laughs> yeah. What are the, they have names? Right, they're like they, two they, names. It was like, it was mayhem. Mayhem. There yes, we go. Yes, yeah. It was like, yeah, like cool names. Yeah, he grew yeah. up. I was like, I'm not grew up. <laughs> That's incredible. I know, right? Because I, yeah. I, I was looking at, I was like. This surely has to be like one of these people that Mike Edgar Wright is like working. It's like maybe it's an attack the block. He was like, but they're all like teenagers. He'd be old. No, it's that little kid. It's so wild. Yeah, he's like ten years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is ten years ago, so yeah, it makes sense. Oh wow, yeah. I mean, I was just guessing, but yeah. um, I, I think I want to add from East London to South London. Yeah, <laughs> another one of my favorite bits of this movie. <laughs> exactly. How else would I get to North London? Yeah, exactly. He's got a car. I mean, it's a fair point. <laughs> it's it's almost a cliche at this point, but cabbies in in North London won't go south of the river after a certain time. The tubes don't run all night. The buses don't run all night. As as so, Americans, <laughs> it just sounds like something cute to say, which I think is just it just works. So I mean, that, but... it is a joke, but it also is is based in fact, and that's something I really like about this is how very realistic uh, the the London locations and the map of London is used in this because so many think of Thor two. I apologize making you think of Thor 2. I, I try not to, but if you there's, insist. There's one, the bit when he gets of, on one the of the tube. best shot Marvel movies, just saying. There's, there's the bit where he gets on, on the underground and he's like, oh, I need to get to, uh, to Greenwich. And the lady's like, oh, it's just three stops. It's not three stops from from Chapel Cross. It's He's going on the train for like an hour. He's got, he's got to change trains. He's got to get a bus for a little bit. It's madness. But in, in Last Night in Zoho, it, it's all realistic. Like the Good Street is when we when my wife and I go to London, we stay on a hotel that's just off of Good Street. So we we kind of know that area a little bit, and it all pretty much is where it is. It, like it's all walking distance. It's all everything. The streets tied together. It's it's beautifully done. So, yeah, uh, so, I've never been to London, but even you can always get a sense of movies when they take their geography series and they take sure. the city series. I got a really strong sense of place from this, which is also more impressive because I know they did a lot of work on sets and stuff, and all that integration is really seamless. Mm-hmm. Jay, I'll just add that woman on the train in Thor: The Dark World. Clearly that was Loki, so I mean whatever. But uh, <laughs> but he's still super... one of the directions and arrived. Telling him it was three block, three stops away. Um, I want to I want to quickly just add on to like the the screenplay and then um, uh, well done from Christy and also from Edgar for making this movie move. Um, it doesn't really linger on anything too too much. It, it does in terms of like central themes and in terms of like mental health and whatever else. But it's not as though it's like, oh, let me go back to like, you know, this particular piece. I think the momentum is so much carrying forward with all the dreams that that Eloise has and everything that she's trying to uncover. Um, and it really helps out. And I'd also credit the editor for this as well of just Edgar, you're going to shoot the script that you co-wrote 
And I'm going to help you guys with your vision in terms of making the audience feel as though we're compelled to keep going. Like, it's not as though Thompson McKenzie spends two nights or three nights, like, lavishly living it up in the 60s. She realizes something's going on, like, second dream, right? So she has a great, great experience first dream. Second dream, she's just like, mm, some darkness is here. And this person that I'm, I'm seeing doesn't really have the greatest time. And now I see the seedy underworld, the seedy underbelly, and I have to help this person out. So it was really well done in terms of just like, cool, yeah, we could have, I guess, stayed with her and had a great time for a couple of nights. And then also um, realized that Matt Smith is like not the, the coolest guy in the room, uh, but it just keeps moving. Let me ask you something about Matt, all of you about Matt Smith, because so I haven't watched Doctor Who and the yeah. most Matt Smith I know is brief appearances in certain movies and terminator and i guess and i was gonna say and i guess and i guess the entertainment weekly photo from terminator uh, uh genesis Did you see the crown at any point i haven't seen the crown no so like okay. my 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 knowledge of matt smith is fairly limited despite where he goes in this movie he starts out in this movie as like the coolest guy i've seen who certainly with a cockney accent in some time so i i'm just curious is that like is that generally the perception of matt smith because i yeah like... before before the real brit adds his uh adds his commentary i will say that when he jumps on the screen lights his cigarette says we'll have uh what was the drink we'll have a, a vesper um, a vesper i was like i see now why he got uh, Doctor Who, like he is a, such a suave and cool guy, and I was like, dude, it oozes off the screen. So that's, I, I definitely was like, oh man, yeah, I see it because he's funny. a tall, lanky, weird guy, looking guy. But <laughs> yeah, I've also seen The Crown. So to your point, Jay, I was like, yes, yeah, he certainly plays like a more subdued, like um, Prince. I forget his name. Philip, Prince yeah. Philip. Prince Philip. Yeah. But yes, I, I, it, it made me laugh that you called him like a. a a suave and cool Doctor Who, because his Doctor Who, I, I, I haven't seen, like, I've only watched the David Tennant years and Christopher mm-hmm. Eccleston. He's he bow tie. Yes, and I, I saw a little bit of Matt Smith when I kind of trailed off during his era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he's not a cool Doctor Who. <laughs> he's like, he is a, a geeky, gangly. He's a goofy guy. Uh, he's a, yeah, he's a goofy Doctor Who. Uh, but I, I have enjoyed his work since then, where he just likes playing tremendous pricks in everything he does. <laughs> he, he, like, so when, when I first, like, in... Uh, in Total Genesis, not a great guy. In pretty much everything else, not a great guy. Yeah, certainly in The Crown, he's Prince Philip. Uh, I mean, not to speak of the dead, but not a great guy. Uh, in, in generally, in history, um, I'm, I'm very much anti-monarchy. Uh, so take my my views with a pinch of salt. Uh, they're all a bunch of bastards. Yeah, I just want, uh, so. Uh, <laughs> I just want to throw out this. this Hold Matt... on, you're called by the UK police right now. <laughs> I just want to throw out this Matt Smith thought because it's like I don't I don't know him well enough to like know what his general vibe is supposed to be. But like he cops out here dancing with Taylor Joy in the nightclub. And it's like this guy's pretty cool. Like just and I I know where it's going. Like it's supposed to be luring you in on purpose. Like I'm not I'm not blind to the fact that it's doing this for a very specific reason. But it's like well he cast him well as far as like getting like a, t- yeah. a two sided character. That said that. That leads into some – we can talk about kind of the thematics of this film. It, we just talked about The Last Duel, uh, which okay. is obviously focused on, like, how uh, how terrible men can be, let alone knights uh, can be, uh, versus a, a woman with a strong voice. Uh, here, we're running into a similar scenario, but it has some interesting layers to it, right? Because you have Ellie, who is 
you know, at fashion school, and she's even in the in the present reality, she's not having the best of times because of well, Mean Girls. <laughs> but then she goes back to the '60s and inhabits Sandy, and you know, aspirations and feeling uh, um, uh, empowered aside, as far as kind of her attitude to certain things, you know, the 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 worst of the scenario comes out in the form of like all of these men uh, that have you know various reasons for wanting to be involved with her. Uh, I'm just curious, as far as your guys' thoughts on how Wright's able to get right and uh, Karen's are able to kind of manage this theme within a within a horror story. You know, I, I was curious around Wright and Christy. Um, you know, they've probably been in the game long enough to be like, this is also my experience with like with Hollywood or what I've heard with Hollywood, and I definitely want to put on the screen. Yes, uh, there probably could be other. Uh, industries where this has to happen like ex- quote-unquote exchanges need to be made kind of thing whether that be music or other art forms um, but i i found it to be a, a, again moving in a way that was um i, I get I, I guess i should say I, I just like that it didn't linger on certain things too long and that there was a voice in eloise that was just like i gotta put a stop to this like i have to help this person out uh, and um, cause that fueled me to be like, yes, go get him, Ellie. Like, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll follow you kind of thing. Um, so it, I thought that it was an effective message across multiple streams. Um, and one that, um, had a strong protagonist that I, that I liked. Well, and I also liked in that turn where she like decides to do something about it. Like that's a point where a lot of movies would like make the threats less threatening and she would like, you know, start to kind of beat them, but they become so much worse. And yeah. the, challenge of kind of defeating this evil or righting the wrong or whatever like just becomes more complex and complicated and impossible to um force down i guess mm-hmm. jay might still have fireworks going off so i'm not really sure <laughs> they, they have stopped now but they're, okay. they're intermittent so i apologize for any fireworks that appear it's all right in my audio i would have been uh, like yeah free, free sound effects <laughs> jay did you have any, any additional thoughts on it uh, no, I think it was even uh, and Scott can I cover it. Fair uh, enough. Uh, with 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 that in mind, because this is you know ostensibly it's a horror, it's a psychological horror film and you know has its various levels of theme and subtext or what have you. Did did you guys like the way it you know kind of built into more and more of a extreme horror feature? I'll I'll just say the there's I mean we've already talked about kind of the imagery when that's mainly reflective of the kind of the the production design the time period and whatnot and the but yes, the, obviously the kind of the the mirror element that comes into play, I think, is really you know fascinating to look at or what have you. But it's but once it kind of gets into a more extreme quote, supernatural mode, I, I I like how kind of visually gonzo it goes. I, I like how it you know takes it to not necessarily you know uh, logical places that you would expect but just like what if we just went for it uh seems to be kind of the rhythm that it operates on towards its third act and i i enjoyed it i enjoyed how it can be it's frustrating to a point as far as i don't know what the solve is of the situation but at the same time it's like i'm still really interested in like what this is gonna all gonna be seeing try not to spoil anything but seeing certain kinds of imagery (laughs) in the form of the threats that ellie is facing i I really i really dug that yeah, and I think that's how it keeps the threats like mounting. I'm so glad they never established like a rule to her power yeah. to see back into the past. There's no like set of guidelines she can follow that will make her able to win the situation. Like it just keeps getting worse because 
the threats from the past keep getting worse and it keeps infecting her more and more. And it really takes on that psychological dimension. It's not like a strict ghost story where like that she has to go to some old woman in some seedy part of London who can be like, ah, yes, ghosts. I can tell you about ghosts. Um, and for some reason, Fred, Fred Gwynn's there from Pet Cemetery saying, yeah, you yeah, just got to right. go over the corner. And then... <laughs> it, it, it's all an extension of the way that she's emotionally handling it. Um, yeah. So that's it, it, just smart decisions, smart decisions. I, I just want to echo the smart decisions part because it wasn't as though it's like the first shot that we see in the in the movie as it uh, opens up is she's on medication. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, like they don't actually even address any of that stuff. Like they do mention that. I was I mean, mother, you're, like, you're, you're not wrong, but they do kind of they give you a heads up right away. No, that I, she I, has yeah, a certain... I was going to mention that. Too, sorry. Yeah, like, okay, sorry, sorry. That her mother also had visions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and that sometimes it can, it can be a little bit overwhelming, but it wasn't like a, a, I, I just watched this recently and I mentioned it on our, our podcast two weeks ago, but you know, it wasn't a lights out situation or things like that where it's like, is it in her head? Is it not in her head? It's like, no, I'm just led to believe that Eloise has strong visions and coming through this, it almost felt as though it was sort of insidious level, like not insidious, the, the adjective, but insidious, the movie. Where it's like, oh, are they trying to like use her as a medium to come back into like the real world kind of thing? Uh, but I, I dug it. And Scott, to your point, actually thought that it was really effective that they just kept going more and more into quote unquote the scares because, you know, you leave this place and you think that you're safe in like the daytime. And then all of a sudden, like you've treaded too far out into the middle of the, of the lake and everything is sort of coming through. Like you can't you can't control it anymore. Like being awake doesn't really control it anymore. And also again, the mirrors, right? You know, there was a mirror in your room and now you can't unsee it because it's like literally staring at you in the face as you sleep. I, I gotta say like, that's something I really liked about the, the about, um, my emotional response to the film. The fact that, yeah, like stuff kept happening at certain points. I'm like, my mind goes to, oh no, everyone saw that. Or oh, no, how, do you, how do you explain this and go back to school the next day? Like, there's just like things happening where I'm so those, like, those parts I, that fell off a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm I'm annoyed because I'm like, ah, that, that's gonna be a rough one to come back from. Like, I don't get, I don't understand this. <laughs> Jay, what were you gonna add? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with all of you about the, uh, the the lack of the rules, but and I liked that we basically we're experiencing this the same way that she is where she's trying to work out the rules throughout like initially it seems she, uh, she's kind of sometimes she goes into a dream and kind of becomes the character of sandy sometimes she's just kind of watching it sometimes she can interact sometimes she can't and is it just when she's dreaming is it when she's looking in the mirror all of these things she's she's trying to work out but it's not a full-on mystery we're just kind of experiencing it all with her and that's that's very well handled but also the the more supernatural elements that come in the fact that she can see things and other people can't necessarily see them I, I'm not big on uh, supernatural or unrealistic elements in horror films. I don't find them to be scary because if, if I'm very much a cynic, like if it's if it's not real, it's not scary. It's, I'm that kind of terrible horror fan. <laughs> I just this is why horror films not made for me. But adding in the angle of she has a history of of mental illness in her family. She suffers from a condition herself. So just the fact that the thing she's seeing might not be real for the people, the fact that they are real for her means they have very real implications for her. So if there is something that is in her mind grabbing her and preventing her from moving, then as far as she's concerned, that is happening. So it it makes the supernatural horror elements terrifying to be in her position. So I, I, I found that very, very 
very uh, it worked. It worked a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> thanks and, and thanks, really for, thanks for justifying it. your acceptance of, of non-reality. <laughs> Anytime. Really, yeah, it really does add to like the the horror elements because there's the library scene, right? Where I was like, I'm not really sure what's happening. <clears throat> Excuse me, with the frog voice. Uh, I'm not really sure what's happening here in terms of like location and whatever else that she's at. There's a kid screaming. I don't know if you guys can hear that. He's, <laughs> yes. he's screaming bloody murder. I assume he was holding scissors and running at you. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's reenacting it for me as I'm watching it. But, yeah, I, I certainly like that part where it's like, you know, John is like, I my aunt saw these things too. And you know what? I, I've got to kind of be a help for this person. Um, and so when you, it does cut to what she's seeing versus um, what's actually happening, I was like, oh, okay. So she – it's really bleeding into her reality. I want to talk about the other actors for a bit, but before that, yeah. I want to just ask a question. Uh, Eloise, uh, good runner or hilarious runner? I think so she's in the good <laughs> runner camp, and I think that's because they gave her Keds, um, Skechers, <laughs> and also, like, dark color, color clothing, so you can't actually... If they gave her a tank top like Steven Skull, black tank top and black pants... Maybe not the best runner, but I think she's a good runner. I mean, we took, we were in, took, we were in track together. Her arms are flailing all over, like they're so far away from her center mass. I just kept wondering. Who knows? <laughs> I can't, I couldn't really tell. <laughs> I mean, my my comparison of of late is uh, Catherine Newton running in Freaky in a giant beaver costume. <laughs> so, Thompson McKenzie is better than that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Just wanted to clear that up. Uh, so yeah, we have other actors. This so obviously we have Anya Taylor Joy, uh, Sandy, as well as uh, Terrence Stamp as a silver-haired gentleman, and uh, the late <laughs> the late Diana Rigg as the landlady, uh, Mrs. Collins. Uh, any any particular thoughts on the other supporting characters we have here? I'm here all day for Terrence Stamp. He I've been waiting for him to play a creepy old man. <laughs> he's, he has the well, perfect you look got for your it. Wish, sir. Uh, uh, he's spot on everything he needs to do in that role. He does so well. Well, it's Terrence Stamp. We don't, we don't need to praise him, mm-hmm. but he's still doing good stuff, and it, it works very well here. So, I, I do not disagree. I think he <laughs> he he has such a great presence, and largely because I, I just his voice does something for me as far as how like specifically kind of deep that it is. Like it just it it it, it plays well for the character that he's playing, and I I really like the how much implication you get and can read various ways um, with him. Uh, and it, it's very, it's creepy, but also like inviting as far as I want to know more about this man. <laughs> like it's, yeah. there's something here. I just can't quite. What's behind that on. evil smile uh-huh. that he's doing. Yeah. Uh, also uh, the small part, but I like the two detectives that she goes to meet with. Sure. Um, they add like the right level of comedy into the, that part of the movie where there's, it's not like, totally mocking the situation but the audience needs a little bit of relief um while still giving her like a slight ally who's not going to like uh completely affirm what she's going for but give her you know just enough support to keep her kind of going where she's not like completely cast out on her own it was kind of the right writing move but i also thought the actors were bringing the right uh degree to that role mm-hmm. yeah. and I, I want to shout out her grandmother um uh, <laughs> who again rita tushing yeah, Rita Tishingham, who adds like a layer of comfort and care. And you're just like, oh, yeah, like she's really trying to look out for you. And if Lennon is too much, you can always come back home. 
And they take, again, an insidious approach where it's like, she is going to go back home. You know what I mean? Like, she's not like, oh, I can solve this granny. Like, I'm going to like do this for, for justice. It's like, no, you're right. I'm going to pack my things right now and just go home. Like, I can't wait for tomorrow, even though you'll send a taxi tomorrow. It's like, I'll find a way to get home right now. And so, yeah, great, great job, Grandma, just being, like, persuasive. When when she first appeared, I was certain that she was, like, the new aunt from Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she just had that same kind of look to her, but it's a completely different person. Yeah, because she's not aloof and, like, yeah. mysteriously they didn't withdrawn. They dark circles in her eyes. Or... Uh, but, what, um, yeah, what, no. What about uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who obviously plays a, a big portion of this film? Yeah, I mean, she's terrific. She obviously um, is uh, very pleasing to look at and needs to be for um, Ellie to continue to want to follow her. I, I mean, I think the way uh, Thomas and McKenzie plays, just the voyeurist aspect of this is really strong. It's not easy to just play looking at somebody, but it also helps when you have somebody to look at, like Anya Taylor-Joy, who can kind of... Yeah, there's a reason why every head in the room turns to her when she walks in the door. Um, but also the way that her confidence starts to kind of get chipped away at and the way she kind of folds that confidence into a kind of gradual acceptance, but also like dis- really despising the role she's falling into in society. Um, that which montage played, of like... Which is played fairly silent, too. Like, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue as yeah, it kind of sure. goes along with that, which I thought was well, pretty impressive. And that whole mo- montage of the guys going, what's your name, love, or whatever the line is, um, and her giving, like, essentially the same answer, which is a series of fake answers, but delivering it in more and more kind of aggravated ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a strong day. piece of editing, but it's a really strong piece of performance. Yeah, I thought that she brought a really, um, like, a, you know, t- if, if Aaron and Abe were quoted on movie posters, her performance was dazzling early on. <laughs> Um, and then exactly what you said, Scott, like she just becomes this broken person, which is very sad and devastating, but it's hard to do that. And if you've seen Queen's Gambit, you know, you, she runs the range of emotion, which yeah, is totally. great. And then you see that here. And yeah, there's like parts where I was like, I was depressed because I was like, yeah, this guy's going to ask her what her name is. She looks away. She's, she is almost on the verge of tears sometimes too. And then she gets like uh, more character turns like in the bedroom. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, man, like, this is good job. Like, I think that she uh, she's rightly coming up as one of um, uh, the stars of, of this generation. And she brings a level of, again, uh, energy to the screen early on that you need. And then it just becomes very uh, dark. Good point about Mackenzie being good at observing and the kind of voyeuristic aspect, by the way, because that is, I mean, that's something she's already done, right? Like, leave no trace. There's a lot of, like, her quietly seeing things. And even Jojo Rabbit has her kind of observing yeah. the things right. around her. And this one, yeah, it's very much reliant on her, you know, matching this love of the nostalgia she has for the 60s, matching that with just, like, the wonder of being a part of it. Um, and, and you know, great mirror play as far as, like, showing her in the reflections at various points, let alone the switching out and what have you. It's a... I, along with the other things that she's required to do, which is a lot. This, this is not an easy. Like, this is another like example of these kinds of horror roles for women in movies. Like they are just as complicated and complex as the various dramas or whatnot that win awards. It's something like why, you know, Diango or S.E. Davis and the Babadook like deserve far more credit than they get for the kind of work that right, they have to put sure. into these things. That it's a mix of not only the drama but the kind of intensified work that they have to kind of keep yeah. up at a certain level throughout a runtime. Like that's, it's not simple. It, it, yeah. It certainly is. It, it harkens back to like our Halloween kills episode where we're just like, you know, 
I don't know if I can follow um, Anthony Michael face. Hall. Michael, yeah, Anthony Michael Hall for an entire movie, and I don't think he really carries it that well. And in this one, it's like Thomas McKenzie carries this movie because I am ingrained with this person. She's my vehicle, but also I care for her in terms of her safety. And I also care about the plight that she's going after, like the wrong that she's trying to to right, right. Mm-hmm. And so, good job on Thomas McKenzie. Uh, Diana Rigg also in this film in her final performance. Um, there, <laughs> she's she has an energy that like I think has been apparent in other like things that she's like, notably Game of Thrones was like a big thing for her as far as being a fan favorite just based off her kind of spunkiness in that <laughs> role. Here she's playing a landlady. There's a lot more. It's a lot more subdued than an average part, but I, there's this is I think where the writing comes in very strong. There's a lot of meaning behind things that she says that I think really plays well, which is all I think I should say about the character. Yeah, I mean she has to kind of provide the initial um, suggestion that the '60s weren't as glamorous as right. Ellie would like to believe. You know, there's that line where Ellie comes in and she's like, "Oh, it's been so great to live here." Then I can't remember what Dan Riggs' exact line was, but I do remember the way she said it and the kind yeah. of the regret that she kind of feels for Ellie like uh going having this fantasy of a time that she knew was not all as cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I also like her line about uh, oh sorry, go ahead, Jay. The line about uh it's London. Someone's been killed in every yes! room everywhere. Yes. <laughs> I, I I spent a year in London. I did a very similar similar thing to And people have uh, been killed Ellie's in work. every room I, everywhere. I, I, I moved to London for a year and a year I lived there. Someone died in the road outside my house. Nothing to do with me. But it's London's not a great place to, to live or die. You really uh, spent past that nothing that has to do with me part. You really kind of said yep. that. Yeah, right. <laughs> my, <laughs> my lawyer insists that I say it every podcast I'm on, whether this comes up or not. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that line too. And I was just like, yeah, you know, uh, I, well, Thomas of McCourty's questions are kind of vague. It's like, hey, do you know of anyone who's died here? It's like, mm, a lot of yeah. people have. <laughs> Including... Henry Golding in uh in uh, his Christmas movie. So yeah. is that the same area? <laughs> I don't know if it's the same area. I don't think it so. should be. Last Christmas. Oh, oh last Christmas in Soho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that Paul Feig sequel is going to be something. Yeah, Jay, I've got a question for you as as our uh, resident UK expert. Okay. Soho. What is it most likened to in the state that you're aware of? Oh, well, London's obviously New York, mm-hmm. uh, so it would be. I'm not I'm not good on the boroughs of New York as to what's what, but it would be a kind of a entertainment borough if there is one. Where, where are like the um the theaters in New York? Broadway? Um, Broadway? Yeah. So like is, near there, because so Soho's like eating, right in the center. Red light, or is it pretty okay? Uh, it's it's probably on the seedier side. Ah, okay, got <laughs> Well, it's 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 on it's got both because it, Soho's it's not like a small area. Um, <laughs> It's like it's it's bought as like Chinatown in Soho, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's you know it's it's a busy, it's a bustling, kind of seedy, kind of expensive to live. Yeah. Lots of good shops there. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of everything, really. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. That helps me out because I was like, yeah, what is this? Is Soho just like the cool, fun theater district? And it's like, mm, seems like it's not. I mean, it it is a, a, a kind of a cool place to go. There's a place you can go on a night out there. Yeah, uh, but it's got to know it's, I, it's, it's not a place I spent a lot of time. Like we stay in a hotel near there, right? And go else because it's the hotel's cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> well, you stay we get, good we get elsewhere. Safe there. Like the big M M&M and M store just outside of Soho. That not in Soho. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, of realistic locations, there's a nightclub called Inferno that they go to, 
and uh, Edgar Wright went to college in put in Bournemouth uh, which is where I'm living right now so he actually went to the same same university as my wife uh, the Arts University of Bournemouth and I went to one next door so it overjoyed me that you had a nightclub called Inferno in here because we had a nightclub called Inferno in Bournemouth Town Centre it's terrible <laughs> but I really hope that it's the one that Edgar Wright based that nightclub on because it looked very similar it's kind of a basement yeah, uh, which just you can't move for people yeah, so I do appreciate whenever he puts these uh, things from his real life in there. And Inferno's in an Argento film, so it all adds up. Um, I I don't know how else to talk about the music beyond saying, I really like the music in this film, but are there any <laughs> other thoughts you have on the music? There is a beat uh, where like, where Eloise is playing the Kinks on her, on her, on her Beats headphones um, in this non-Sony movie. Um, well, Beats isn't Sony, right? That's just Dre, right? So whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's by Apple. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, it is Apple. Okay, so, uh, but she's listening to the Kinks on her on her Beats headphones, and like we have like house music in the background also playing, and it's kind of, it, it's like it's adding this kind. It's, I like that the film is doing this thing where it's having her like playing on her own like love for the '60s while also keeping the modern times very much like colliding with it as she's like in in her in a party she doesn't want to be in, listening to like the music she loves while the beats like going along with it to in its own way and kind of adding an extra layer to it. That's that's the deepest I can get on me appreciating the music in this film beyond just how much I like the tracks. But any other thoughts on the music or the score? Yeah, I think it also is um it slightly helps with the film's whole project, I guess, of kind of undercutting the glamour of the sixties like It'll play a song like Land of a Thousand Dances with a total banger, mm-hmm. but it's like during Sandy's the start of Sandy's downfall. And it's, so it's like has this weird kind of nightmarish quality. Or then later when um, Ellie's being chased around by all the ghosts, she, they're playing. There's always something there to remind me. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, <laughs> oh, yeah. slightly twisted Fantastic use song. of that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I really like the way that it not only gather all these great tracks together but wasn't just like look how great this music is guys it really kind of twisted the music in a way that um helped the whole like mission of undercutting that nostalgia yeah that feels like the the remnants of the idea of making the flashback stuff musical numbers is like he's and i mean wright's not unknown for using music cleverly in his film no. <laughs> so i mean it's i i do like that you know of the things he can hold on to with his style I do, you know, I appreciate the way he's able to incorporate, you know, various tracks as well as score and how he blends them together with, you know, t- together on their own as well as with kind of the actions of the movies taking place. There's, it, it's just clear there's a lot of thought behind all of these choices mm-hmm. um, as, as opposed to just being like, oh, that sounds nice. Like there's there's meaning behind every single one of these, which I think is really, you know, it adds <laughs> to a film. Yeah, like absolutely. Any other thoughts yeah. on last night in Soho? I'm, I'm trying to go through my notes here. I, I covered all the. I, I know. I mean, it, it's tough without getting into spoiler territory. Exactly. But yeah, I know. <laughs> only to say oh. that I think the ending is really substantial and adds a great deal of complexity. And I'm kind of disappointed the way that even admiring reviews are saying like, oh, it kind of runs out of steam in the third act. I think the third act adds exactly the steam it needs. <laughs> I agree with you. I and I like. I don't want to like hearken on too many other like what other outside thoughts are, but at the same time, it's like. When I hear the words like confounding, I just think I feel like the beyond like you could say complexity. Have they seen other international films? Well, it just makes fun. It's like what I mean. It's presented <laughs> like not. regardless of yeah. the abstract nature of certain aspects. It's like it's presented very cleanly. Like I don't I don't know what what would be confusing about what's going on in the last act. Regardless if it gets more complicated, it doesn't feel like it's stretching itself in a way where it's like I don't I can't follow the actions anymore. It feels yeah. like everything's very straightforward. 
it is the most psychologically kind of messy part, the thing that we were alluding to at the start. Um, it's the most psychologically messy part, and it's the most like thematically kind of upsetting part mm-hmm. where you think there's a straight line kind of going here, but it, it, it's really not. And I don't think Wright is completely resolved on what he wants to do with it either, and I think that's what part of what makes it so powerful. And again, I don't want to get into any specifics, but I, I think it's that's where the film really kind of sewed its, my love for it up. Uh, I went into this big fan of Edgar Wright, so I, I know his films tend to start with him laying out how certain elements of the finale are going to be, especially the, the Cornetto trilogy. But even things like Baby Driver, you've got uh, uh, John Hamm talking about that, uh, the the great guitar riff in Brighton Rock. And then you have the chase at the end where they start chasing during the guitar riff in Brighton Rock. Mm-hmm. So at the start of this, I was kind of not trying to, but like pick up on what is this going to come back is this going to come back and I'm, I'm shocked that the film doesn't end with this isn't a spoiler uh eloise and her grand having dinner at the the, the criterion restaurant oh just because that was mentioned <laughs> that I, I was just, so oh I'm glad yeah that, that's right yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad that you know they mentioned some things but they didn't necessarily all come back there are a couple yeah. of things that a second watch when we go oh yeah the smell coming up in summer well, it's it's uh, funny you mentioned that. I that also that makes me think about like Wright as his growth as a director. Where not that he like needs to get out of this pattern of setting up things and paying them off, but uh, but but there's, I you know Eloise's whole, her whole thing is that she loves the '60s, and obviously this movie is a basically challenging that love like by making it the most real as possible and showing the the other side of it, which I, is it's it's whole other thing as far as analyzing the world's obsession with certain, you know, ideas of nostalgia or what have you, and, like, it coming to literally try and kill you. That's a whole different discussion. But I do, <laughs> but I do, and without getting too far into what happens at the end, there is something, I think there is something to be said as far as the movie begins with Eloise in love with the 60s and showing all the dedication she has to it, versus by the time we get towards the, you know, the final moments of this film, it, it shows how she's grown as a person as far as what she wants to take away from the things that she likes versus how she wants to move forward. And compared to Edgar Wright's other films, I think that's something substantial there as far as it's not trying to mimic something that was set up early on. Instead, it's showing the progression of a character. Yeah, you're telling me that, you know, at the end of uh, Shaun of the Dead, he doesn't still play video games with Nick Frost because he hasn't really changed? <laughs> Well, the, <laughs> he, he has he went through he, all of that he gets a new level with his girlfriend and yet he still plays like ps2 with nick press at the end of the movie because what, what he's time splitters <laughs> time splitters too I, I'm trying not to talk too much about this, but I'll just say he does grow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he does. But, but you know, you know, it's not it's never bad to keep certain things, you know, along with you as well. Um. What were we saying that made that was more significant? Oh, about the ending still. Uh, in general, um, yeah, it's hard to kind of delve yeah. completely into it. But I I agree with Scott as far as the things that I will continue thinking about are related to what's going on towards the end of this film. That's the stuff that's yes. going to kind of keep yeah. me going as far as what my fascination is here. I mean, beyond like just being pleased by what Wright's doing, you know, aesthetically and what have you, and you know various bits of dialogue or whatnot the you know the 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 finale of this film and what it's trying to say what it's doing and the fact that it's not giving you a straight answer that's all fascinating to me that's all that makes this kind of stand out in the way that it's going to 
certainly as far as films I've seen this year, it's like, yeah, this is a reason why this one excels because it's giving me a lot to chew on. Yeah. And, well, and right up to the very last shot, which is like, yes, yes. A very interesting suggestion that uh, I can't get into it, but at right, any rate, yeah. there's a lot there that could indicate more troubling things, I suppose. Yeah. And my comment would Let's just see. be like, when did we give up as like viewers of movies and be like, I really want everything explained to me to the T like, Steven Soderbergh, how they did the heist type of type of explanation. <laughs> it's like, no, it's more fun to chew on it, think about it, have it for an opinion if you if you have it, um, and talk about it with with people that you like or people that that you enjoy listening to. You know what I mean? Because if it really narrowed out and we're just like the the obvious thing that we would do if it was the flip side of the coin is that ending was weak or that wasn't my favorite ending. They could have gone this way or that way. It's like there's a lot of different avenues here. Even I'm still thinking like. I I could with the way that some of the characters also resolve. I was like, I don't know what's happening here. So yeah, I don't. I don't want a sequel or a prequel where it's like we now everything's from Sandy's perspective, and suddenly she dreams she's in the future and she's helping out Eloise with a future thing. I don't. I don't because that's no. Yeah, I don't want to cut that out. (laughs) Don't even put that out either. (laughs) Not in the podcast. Don't want it. I um I just remember what I wanted to say. Basically, it's it's hard for me to trust how certain people view horror. Sorry, uh, critics view horror. Like it's, it's like the things don't change. Like even as we grow up, being people that have loved horror, there still seem to be similar complaints about certain things since it doesn't match like what I want, or it goes in a, it goes in a direction that embraces the fact that it's within the genre, and I I just feel like that gets lost in translation at some point as far as wanting to have something clean or something that's i don't know not doing the thing that it's kind of built itself up to be to begin with i can understand you know just not being satisfied with a movie i'm not saying there's no reason to to not like this if you don't like it don't like it i just feel like there's a there continues to be a kind of high bar set for certain kinds of genre films where they just can't seem to succeed unless they match an unreasonable amount of requirements compared to just being just something that's creative and doing, you know, marching to the beat of its own drum. Yeah, but I, I think you summed it up there nicely, Aaron, which is um, it would have been a disservice to its own movie if it did ended up or if it did like wrap itself nicely. You know what I mean? So. Well, I think we should talk about when people should go and see Last Night in Soho. Clearly, we're all pretty positive on it, but uh, uh, start, let's start with uh, Jay. When, when should people see this movie? I think they should go and see it in theaters now. I, I feel like it's the kind of film that could be spoiled. There's there's an ending to it, so people should get out there and see it before that happens. And when they do, they should look out for the Weasley twins. They're in there somewhere. <laughs> are they really? <laughs> they are. Uh, oh, I won't say where. Check that out. They're, they're in the film. <laughs> Scott, why do people see this movie? Yeah, I mean, with the at, usual disclaimers of, like, you know, feel safe. You know, it's uh, still a pandemic going on. Maybe your area is less safe than uh, good old Los Angeles, which is in, <laughs> enacting uh, strict uh, vaccine requirement and all. And, you know, so we got it pretty good here. But I realize for others, the choice is not so clean cut. Um, that said, if you can go see it in theaters, I would very, very highly recommend it. It's just such a visually dazzling movie. And just to see like an entire dark room blanketed and blinking blue and red lights and stuff, mm-hmm. it's so enveloping and uh, wonderful to see. So, highly recommend seeing it that way if possible. Abe, everything that Scott and I said, I, I would agree with him. You see it in the theater for all those reasons. Like it's beautifully said. I have no reason to stray from that fact. Yes, I, I, let alone 
this is an original movie from a unique filmmaker based off no original other property and of course it made 4.2 million at the box office this weekend which is not very high uh not that i expected blockbuster numbers because it's just less inherently exciting than i guess other things but if you want more original movies (laughs) go and see original movies (laughs) that seems like the way to go uh so yeah go see it if you can um it's great okay uh, that's uh, been our review for last night in Soho. Now it's um, it's time for a what uh what time is it here? Aaron, it's time for a quick game. <laughs> Little known fact: that's actually the doorbell ring to Diane Diana Riggs' uh, home. But they're like, Aaron, we can't pay you for that. Yeah, and I was devastated. <laughs> that was of course the improv theme for games have you got a game for us right now i do it's called top four uh bright lights big city think about this as our marquees on broadway and i guess in soho but this is where i will name one of the main actors from this movie and their imdb lists four of their top works in some random unknown order I guess maybe the, even the actor or actress could come in and change if they wanted to. No one knows the algorithm. <laughs> but uh, if you get one of the top, I'm going to go in, uh, in alphabetical or not, uh, but I'm going to go in an order where everyone of you can start. And if you name one of the movies in what IMDb considers their top four, you have a chance for winning extra points if you can go for three other movies. So you just want us to name the IMDb top four. That's that's what you want. So <laughs> okay. But here we go. Star of the movie. Uh, Thomas and McKenzie. Aaron, what do you think is in Thomas and McKenzie's top four? Uh, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit is one of them, so that's one point. You now have a chance for the other three points. Leave No Trace. That is true. Yes. Okay. Oh wait, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be saying it. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, it'd be hard to think it wouldn't be. Um. Okay. It's two more. What would it? What would it be? Um. What's that? What's the movie called? Um. It's the it's the Australian outlaw movie that I can't think the name of right now. Um, be there, sir. Uh, that one. <laughs> and um, I don't know this last night in Zoho. That is incorrect. You got two points there. So Jojo Rabbit, leave no trace. Jay, we move to you. Am I continuing with? Yeah. Uh, pass. I know nothing else she's been in. Uh, <laughs> nothing else. Um, okay. Uh, Game of Thrones and Close. Uh, all of the Harry Potter films. <laughs> <laughs> Close, but no. Scott, we move to you. Oh, I just you remember the title Rabbit, of that movie. Leave no trace. Uh, I'm gonna say old for sure. Oh, for fuck old, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Forgot old. Um, and I cannot remember anything else she's been in. I remember the. Okay. I don't need any points, but is 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 one of the true history of the Kelly Gang? That's the movie I was trying to think of. No, it is not. Unfortunately, okay. the last one was The King. Oh, she's in The King with uh, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet with Paul Atreides. Uh, <laughs> Paul, yeah, with Paul with young Paul Atreides, yeah, where she plays Philippa. Yeah, it's like sister. But yeah, old. I was like, we talked about M Night Shyamalan. I forgot she was an old. <laughs> I forgot old. <laughs> Uh, the next one here, everyone's favorite, Terrence Stamp. Jay, you gotta go first. You're on mute. Sorry. Uh, I would Superman. hope Superman. That is incorrect. I'm sorry. <laughs> In, Superman is okay. Fine. Well, Again, it's a weird algorithm. Uh, 
Scott, we move to you. Gosh, uh, it's always oh, hard. Oh, I'm sorry. Be... Superman is on there. Oh, damn. Oh, okay. I was looking at the poster. I was like, that's not an S, but it is. Faith in humanity restored. Apologies on the Game Master. Okay. Uh, so do I, do I guess others? Yeah, keep going. Yes, yeah. Uh, okay. Probably not yes, man. Um, I'm doing much like so. I, I, the, the, the the limey he did the limey, didn't he? Yes. He big, yeah. Um. Uh, Priscilla, Adventure Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And, yes. That's a good. There and, you go. Um, probably not last night in Zoho because that's too new. It's too, uh, fuck it. Yes, man. <laughs> that's just gonna be my no, third one. It's not yes, man. <laughs> No one this, right? Jim Carrey doesn't remember Yes Man. <laughs> Scott, do you know the final uh, film Freestyle, in yes. in uh, Terrence Stamps' Top Four? I most assuredly do not, so I will guess uh, Bowfinger. No, unfortunately not. Can I guess? But, yeah. Yes, Aaron. You're, Super you're... Super Superman Two. No, it is not Superman. That's two. surprising. It is a movie called Unfinished Song. Uh, okay. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Jay, you got three points. You're in the lead right now. Right. Two points. Scott, you have zero points. But Scott, you got to go first in the next one here for Diana Rigg. Hell. Including television, I might add. Including television. Well, I, I I have recently <laughs> learned through this podcast that, because I'd never watched a show. She was on Game of Thrones, so I'm gonna guess yes, that. That's one of them. Um, let's say on Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's two oh, of yeah, them. Um, Diana Rigg, not as prolific an actress as you might think. Um, it wasn't a fair amount of stuff. I got nothing else though. That's two points for you though. All right, uh, Aaron. I have two guesses, <laughs> and, they're, and they're both the same word. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna just say Avengers. Can you add an article somewhere? I could. <laughs> so I'll say The Avengers. That's one of them. <laughs> um, now I'm tempted to say, well, hmm. what else would it be, though? Like, um, some movie that's, like, obvious. That's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of. Maybe. Uh, or it's just the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Who can tell? Um, yeah. I'm gonna need an answer here in three, two, one. Marvel's Avengers. Unfortunately, no. Damn it. Not Marvel's <laughs> Avengers. Jay, do you have the last in top uh, four for? If, if I've got what it would be if I was making it, uh-huh. which would be the Great Muppet Caper. I thought about that too. That's, that's, like, that's a that great answer. Yeah. It's sort of the the one that actually is here sort of could be like that. It's the painted veil. So no, obviously, yeah, of Edward. I feel, like, oh, I feel like that's that's incorrect and it should be. It should be Papa Caper for sure. So I'm I'm gonna give myself yeah. a point for that. Wait, is she uh, not? Who's in Avengers? Who am I thinking of? It's not her in Avengers. Jenny Agatha. Agatha. Yeah, Agatha? there it is. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> Uh, updated oh, I was trying to think who's Diana Rick and <laughs> no, I, I, I just got my Brits confused. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, you know, yeah. those Brits. Uh, updated standings: Aaron and Jay, you guys are tied with three. Jay, you're or Scott, you're on the board with two, so tight race. Next one here: Anna Taylor, Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, I think Scott, you went first in the last one. 
you did. So, Aaron, you're going first in this one. Um, hmm, what's the obvious one? What includes TV? But okay, uh, the Queen's Gambit. That is one of them. Okay. Um, s- split. That is not one of ah, them. So you get one point. Uh, Jay, we move to you for Anya Taylor Joy. Okay, so three more. Uh, is is New Mutants in there? That's <laughs> one of them. God damn it! That, the New Mutants. That's where the split isn't is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't seen it, but I know that she's like the star of the the Vich. The Vich. The Vich. Yeah. Is that one of your official answers? I will say that as, as an answer. I think that, that was a is big... another one. Yeah. Why okay. did I go split? <laughs> well, I'm gonna follow your lead and go glass. That is not the other one, so you got two points okay. there. So no Shyamalan for Taylor Joy, all Shyamalan for Mackenzie. <laughs> got it. Scott, we've got Queen's Gambit, the New Mutants, the Vivich, and what What do you think is the last one? The only other credit of hers I can think of is Thoroughbreds. It's a good one. That is not the one that I'm going to be not at. surprised. Is it Emma? Yeah. They have Morgan. The, Morgan? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The one where she's like a, a board oh, or right. the trained killer kind of thing. She's like an enhan- like a like an artificial creation thing or whatever. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm definitely ashamed. I forgot about Emma, but uh, more ashamed of IMDb for faulting uh, Morgan over yeah. Emma. <laughs> right. They picked New Mutants over anything. Right? I know. <laughs> like that movie barely came out. <laughs> um, updated standings. Jay, you're in the lead with five. Aaron, you're second place with four. And oh, Scott, you're you. with two. Uh, Jay, we move to you. Matt Smith. Okay. Nice. Uh, uh, Doctor Who. Feels yes. like it has, it has to be. Heard of yeah? It. Yes. Okay. Good. Actually, the, the bad guys in Lost Sense are kind of reminding me of the of like Doctor Who villains. But like That's with better, yeah. better CGI. Yeah. Uh, so The Crown, maybe? Yes. That's another one. Okay. Um, hmm. That's the two big things. Let's see. Did they go New Mutants route and do Terminator Genesis? Also, yeah. Genesis. They, they did not choose Terminator Genesis. Okay, that's I'm glad. Two points for you. I, I, honestly, I'm glad. Scott, well, we've got Doctor Who and The Crown. Yeah, uh, Matt Smith is not a guy I know that well, so I, my my only recourse is to guess Charlie says. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is not one of them. Uh, they are correct, and that is Esma. <laughs> as Charlie says, it's a Charlie exactly. Hansen movie. Aaron, huh. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? No, please oh, not. Unfortunately, not. They have Last Night in Soho. Damn it! <laughs> and Morbius. <laughs> These Wait. Are- so movies that just new and haven't come out yet? Though, that... I guess so. Yeah. I mean, so I there, guess are, there are back. things out there we could watch. Exactly. And something yeah. else. That, that's okay. the MVB algorithm for you. Uh, last one here. Um, and I believe, uh, Scott, you're up first. Edgar Wright. Oh, Jesus. All right. Well, you got to go baby so driver. I, I do want to say that if you get all four, you'd be in second place. Watch out. All right. So Baby Driver. That is one. Um, I'll say Scott Pilgrim. That is two. Okay. 
Okay. Um, I feel like Shaun of the Dead's got cachet by now. That is three. Mm. Now the pressure's on. Um, last night in Soho. <laughs> I was I was gearing up for a ding 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 for like a hundred percent. That is not one of you ah. got three points though. Aaron. Hot this is also incorrect. Wow. I'm, I'm, Jay, we go to you for the last... Can I confirm what Scott said? Of, uh, baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim, Shaun of the Dead. Yes, yeah, he is three that Scott Driver, kinda, Scott kinda, Pilgrim. Kind of leaves so. one. Well, it leaves two. Right. It could be the TV show. Could be. It's either World's End or Spaced, but I'm... Oh, I'm going to go with the World's End. I hope it's last. That Jedi. is the last one. <laughs> okay. I hope to be Spaced, it'll be like a three-way tie. <laughs> Updated standings here. Jay, you pulled away at the end. You got eight. Scott, I'm not strong toward the toward the end there. You're in second place with five, and Aaron, you ended up in last place with four points. That was top four. That was tense. That was that stressful. You guys, uh, you guys have really good movie archive knowledge in the brain in the old noggin. <laughs> so kudos to you guys for for playing. Except when it comes to Thank which you. British person's in the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> but you you got the right answer. I got the right you Avengers. Right. I'm happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's her main uh, claim if, to fame, is the Avengers. That's a huge faux pas. <laughs> yeah. uh, if we did Uma Thurman's and it also included the Avengers, then that would be a huge mistake. I can look it up right now if you guys want to. It, yeah, I think it'd be worse if it was on Connery's, actually. <laughs> okay, here we go with Uma Thurman for funs and kicks. Oh, for funsies? Uh, Scott, since you went first, uh, Jay, since you nominated, I guess I'll let you go. Jay. <laughs> Not one of my favorite actors. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1. Is one of them. Okay, Kill Bill Volume 2. <laughs> I don't know how you guessed that one, but that's two of them. Pulp Fiction Volume 1. <laughs> well, uh, the Volume 1 part out, but yes. Hmm. Here's the real pressure. <laughs> the last is the real pressure. What's, what's that? The rom-com she did with Justin Bartha. Where, a uh, Prime? Is it Prime? It is not Prime. I'm j- I don't care. I'm pleased I remember that. It part. is Batman and Robin. Oh, pal. <laughs> and that was Emma Thurman for funsies. Uh, I think we have to keep going here. I think Scott might be short on time. Well, yeah, as we as we move on from games here, I just want to get a quick uh, a quick exit for Scott here. Scott, um, real quick, where can people find more of your work online? Yeah, uh, at Battleship Pretension, I'll be um, covering AFI Fest. It starts in a couple weeks here. And uh, on Twitter, at Rail of Tomorrow. Great. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining us. Talking last thank night you, in Soho and everything. Yeah, sorry I got split early, but this was fun, guys. No, apologies Good. for joining late. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Play late. Play late. All right, have a good Halloween, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Scott. Hey. Happy Halloween. All right. Well, that was games. <laughs> that was games. And uh, Abe, thank you for that game. You're welcome. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to our now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. I almost did it. You should uh, do it. it. Okay. <laughs> Join in. Blind rage at the fact that Jay didn't do it. Uh, but this is where we go over the various yeah. questions and answers on our Facebook page. Facebook.com set down a podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners. They gave us some answers. And then, uh, yeah. So let's start this one off here. Uh, let's see. Last Night in Soho has some key influences. What are your favorite British and Italian horror films? Chris writes, so many British, 28 Days Later, Attack the Block, Dog Soldiers, Borderlands, and Everything by Ben Wheatley. Italian, Demons, Phenomena, 
Cemetery Man, and I have to include Cannibal Holocaust. He had to. Ooh. It's weird that he showed. Um, he added a picture of him eating something. That's not true. He didn't add any pictures. We've had to send that to the police. Something <laughs> or someone. He's, he's putting up evidence of himself being cannibal. Any uh, favorite uh, British or Italian horror films offhand? The Descent. The Descent's a good one. Yeah. Ooh. Very recently. Uh, recently covered on Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, for Italian, uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage. There you go. Is the one that I enjoyed. And, and Suspiria, the original Suspiria, mm-hmm. is uh, very, Those very memorable. Those titles are great. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage? Yeah, yeah. one of one of four title. one of four animal related Argento <laughs> movie titles. Yeah. It appears in the 1001 movies you must see before you die list, which is where I watched it from. It's a good there reason. You go. yeah, it's a good look. It's a good movie to watch. Yeah. Uh that description is what are some great films featuring nightmare visions or nightmarish visions? Uh Chris Clinton has Donnie Darko and Jacob's Ladder from 1990. Uh, you guys have any nightmarish visions? Uh, Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, Inception? I mean, are they nightmares? I mean, you know, <laughs> your people, your abusive father actually kept the thing that you made for him when you were six. Was he abusive or just kind of an asshole? Was he abusive or just kind of an asshole? Kind of an asshole. I don't think he was abusive. I don't think Pete possibly was was beating Killian Murphy. (laughs) He was just absent and and, uh, a jerk father. Yeah, yeah, he had to to live with Tom Berenger instead. I mean, he was running that flower shop by himself in in Boston. Yeah, that was the other thing that happened. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Wait, 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 real quick. Uh, Uh Uh-huh. Real quick, the, the 1986 double dose of um, horrible visions in The Fly and Aliens, as far as birthing things that you don't want to I burn. mean, I, that's the, probably the main reason why I don't rewatch The Fly. <laughs> that is just what, 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 that's just gross. And I saw that when I was like 10. Um, <laughs> Nightmare's Visions, uh, this is the end. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, next question. What are some great films about the seediness lurking beneath? Uh, Todd Lieben, our friend of the show, writes Blue Velvet, and Chris has Taxi Driver. Seediness lurking beneath. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> then 1990. Well, yeah, the Foot, the Foot Clan's everywhere. Yeah, those teenagers just like running rampant. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. Everyone's eating. Yeah. Let's see, in Deep Blue Sea, I, there's there's things under the water that aren't great. It's true. The uh, jellyfish. Yeah. yeah. Michael Rappaport. <laughs> Dr. Susan McAllister has a secret. That's pretty seedy. <laughs> She's been doing things against their will. Yeah. Uh, Deep Blue Sea 2, less of a good film, but also seedy goes on. Deep Blue Sea 3, <laughs> less things happening underwater. Yeah, more, so more above water are the seedy things. Yeah. I think Aaron told so. me to watch a kill scene in Deep Blue Sea 3, and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. You should watch the entire Deep Blue Sea 3, and then you should listen to our 11 consecutive episodes of Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, which we covered it <laughs> chapter <laughs> by chapter. And then our interview with director of Deep Blue Sea 3, John Pogue, and then our interview with director <laughs> and star of Deep Blue Sea 3, John Pogue, and Tanya Ramond. Keep it going. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, 30 episode, the 13 episodes we've done on Deep Blue Sea 3. <laughs> It's almost as if you're the definitive Deep Blue Sea podcast. Yeah, you and I'd like to say so. You and friend of the show, Mark Hoffmeyer, really, uh, really got that ground covered. <laughs> yeah, no, no one else seems to want it. Uh, no one's fighting us <laughs> for, for that ground, but it, it's us. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, we did, we did ten episodes on Deep Sea Two, and that was that was too many. Yeah, that is a, a, a less good film, but should still be watched because there are still some tremendous deaths in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Beach 
is is just killing it in that film. He's I mean, fantastic. I I, I watched two to prepare for your podcast because I was assigned for three, but I didn't want to be lost, obviously. And I can tell <laughs> yeah, you right now, it's integral to watch. <laughs> and I can tell you right now, I remember very little about Deep Blue Sea Two, a movie I watched less than six months ago. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I mean, I I can recommend like it's on first watch, it's terrible. But if you watch it, on second watch, it's still terrible. But on the weeks, third watch, it's still terrible. <laughs> but no, watch it, watch it ten weeks every every week, once a week for ten weeks. It will get better. Hmm. Uh, it will not, it will not get good, but it will get better. <laughs> yeah, you'll just be so accustomed to it now. You're just like, yeah, uh, I get this it. That's why I don't I, change I like star ratings and stuff up. It's like it, it, it's like, it's not the movie's not changing. You're just being worn down by it. That's not an excuse for me to say it's good you're now. <laughs> You're also you're uh, you're finding more things to appreciate about it. You're looking at it not not necessarily just on the surface level as you might do on just one viewing of this yeah. terrible straight to video uh, uh, shark movie, shark baby shark movie, I should say. The threats and things you do are baby sharks. Do 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 do. No. Uh, what's the, the next question? One rule question? of our podcast <laughs> <laughs> one rule. One person uh, sang and they've never been back. <laughs> The next question here is, what are some great films about characters moving to the big city? Uh, Dwayne has Superman. Not uh, bad. Yeah, he goes to Metropolis because it starts getting a job. Yeah. I mean, he starts in a city. On No, a big city moves to the Well, he starts city. in... He starts he starts in, in, uh... He's literally from Smallville. He's literally from another planet. And he's from a city on that other planet. He doesn't, uh, he he doesn't he know that. He really and as we, all, as we all know, the, the elves lived in the suburbs of Krypton. <laughs> of course. My apologies. The elves. The elves. Yeah, the elf that, family. That white picket fence got destroyed when the planet went up. Exactly. The exact opposite of this question is Hot Fuzz. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, he was out of the city. Yeah, 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 it really is. <laughs> Hello, Nicholas. You're too good at your job. <laughs> We're gonna move you out to where does he go? You've been making uh, <laughs> um, Sanford. Sanford, yeah. You've been making us all look bad. <laughs> yeah. well, how's the hat? How's the hat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving to the big city. To the big city. Hmm. I feel like there are some huge ones that are not springing to mind. Yeah. I mean, Mid- Midnight Cowboy. What Midnight Cowboy? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Everybody's and talking Dave about him. City. He doesn't move there. It's more like he's just... He's, he's got a competition. Trip. There. Yeah. He's temporarily moved there. Yeah. The Beverly <laughs> Hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, what Name some great films involving 60s nightlife. We didn't get, we didn't Austin get, Powers. We didn't give any answers to this question, but yeah. Austin Powers, there you go. Yeah, baby. Uh, as <laughs> for Halloween, uh, as Mike Myers, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, Jason, you could do like a yeah, half Mike Myers, half Fox, Mike Myers. We're gonna yeah. kill you, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. There's that that photo, of sort of someone doing the rounds dressed half as Freddie Mercury, half as Freddie Krueger. You could do the same thing with Mike Myers, Michael Myers. You know, that, yeah. that that should be a costume. The fact that it isn't yeah. yet, or I haven't seen it, is unfortunate. Uh, 60s nightlife and films. Nothing is coming to mind. It's not my decade. Yeah, fair enough. West Side Story. Sure. <laughs> That's a stretch. Okay. <laughs> it's true. the 60s that they're at night at times, I'm sure. Yeah, they, uh, they hang out at nighttime in the streets of New York or in the, in the just streets. Just clicking of... their fingers at each other. 
Spanish Harlem. Yeah. I mean, between between Bond and in like Flint, I'm sure there's some 60s nightlife hanging out that's happening. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, the last question here is: What are some great films about eccentric writers? Chris has Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. This is a reference to uh, uh, French Dispatch, which is coming up soon. But... Uh, Barton Fink. There you go. Barton Fink. Yeah, great poster. Weird. John Turturro with the fly mosquito on his uh, forehead. Or mosquito eaters. Wonder Boys. Wonder, Wonder Boys? Boys. You know, he's wearing Stephen that scarf. King films. Most, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah see, exactly. Secret Window with John Turturro. <laughs> uh, the, in the in the Mind of Madness, whatever it's called. The, yeah. yeah. Um, adaptation. At, yeah, adaptation. He's a weird writer. Doesn't want to talk to his twin brother. Uh, I mean, many Woody Allen movies. <laughs> Ruby Sparks. Ruby, yeah. Ruby Spar- yeah, there you go. <laughs> did you say Ruby Sparks? Yeah, I did. Good job, good job. <laughs> Shakespeare in Love. Film. Shakespeare in Love, yeah. One, one. How many Academy Awards? Two. A few. At best Picture one. and Best Actress. Uh, yeah. Best Supporting Actress. And Judy supporting Dench. Actress. Yeah. yeah. Dame Judy Dench. Sorry. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you hate the monarchy. <laughs> I was going to correct you, but you did it yourself, so it's fine. She's cool, though. I uh, think you mean Dame Judy Dent. Uh, uh, right yeah. your way. He says that as he's stirring his tea and eating a cracker. Or a cracker. what do they call it? A biscuit. A biscuit with tea. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't drink tea. I hate tea. Two more. Uh, young Adult and The Shining. Yeah. yeah. yeah one of them is uh, the scariest movie of all time. And, and, and that's the Young The adult. Shining. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I, think I mean, that Oswald just shows up out of nowhere. It's scary. Covered our bases on that one. Okay. So, well, that's it. Now's that enough feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And that is going to do it for this week's episode about Now There and Nave. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I also write movie reviews at We Live Entertainment, Blu-ray reviews at wisesofblue.com, some interview stuff at Variety every now and then, and I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash wallersmoose, hashtag the 2K. <laughs> Jay Cluett, where can people find more of you? Uh, my podcast, as has been mentioned many times, is Deep Blue See the Podcast, where we initially started with a friend of the show, Mark Hoffmeyer, uh, going through the film, the 1999 shark-infested, Ronnie Harding classic, Deep Blue Sea, uh, chapter by chapter. There's 33 chapters to that initial film, so we did 35 episodes of a bonus one, and then a wrap-up, and a music video. Oh, the glorious music video. <laughs> then we did Deep Blue Sea 2, Deep Blue Sea 3, and we're now on our, our fourth season, where, my, where Mark is on a bit of a paternity leave hiatus, and I'm going through looking at some Deep Blue Sea-adjacent films that I am less familiar with. So things involving sharks or action underwater or well, directed by Ronnie Harlan. So at the time of recording, we are midway through the, the Jaws sequels because I hadn't seen them before. So actually, I, we talked, we, I recorded Jaws 2 yesterday. So just my two podcasts in a row. Indeed. Uh, my two podcasts in a row both feature covers of Downtown. Whoa. <laughs> there's a, a, there's a, a brass band playing Are Downtown. Are we in, in real two. life right now? Right. Of all the songs, all the films in the world, these are two that I recorded like one after the other. So, and Aaron will be on soon to talk about another potential Rennie Harding classic, Twelve Rounds that I've never seen before. Uh, So that's good. 
And I'm also I do a monthly uh, podcast over on the the Lambcast for the Lamb large association large association of movie blogs. It's, I've told, I've said many times, but still cannot say quickly. The large association of movie blogs, <laughs> the Lamb. The, um, I've said it thousands of times at this point, but I still stumble over it most times. Uh, it's as what it sounds like a large association of movie blogs. It's, if you out there and have a movie blog or podcast and we're part of a big collective of like-minded folks, then come join us over at largeassmovieblogs.com. Uh, I do Lampany, which is a Je- Jeopardy-inspired, Je- Jeopardy-stolen uh, movie trivia game, <laughs> <laughs> which I do once a month. And Aaron will be on again very soon because he is quite good at that game, it turns out. And then, as you mentioned at the top of the show, my, my personal blog is lifeversusfilm.com, life vs film, uh, which I occasionally write things on, but it doesn't happen very often. So. All right. Well, you can find all the other episodes about Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HSWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. At our physical wall, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. Or you can send us tweets, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And be sure to follow our Instagram page, instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast, which is, of course, a great uh, visual blog of all the various episodes that we do at this point. <laughs> uh, Jay, thank you very much for joining us today. Jay, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's great great to be here. And I think Scott, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> and, of course, yes, thanks to Scott and I as well for joining us. I know you had to duck out early. Uh, but that is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week we'll be talking Eternals, which uh, I've heard some critics named Aaron have called Powerful. Uh, based on various TV spots but um, that's uh, gonna do it for this week's show uh, so until next time so long um, <laughs> goodbye when you're alone.